Um, so I don't know if you silence your phone or anything. Yeah, yeah, because then it's going to speak like nobody. <laughs> it may interrupt, so if you want to silence it. Three notifications. Speech off. Okay. Uh, perfect. Yeah, because if not, poof. <laughs> That's one of the things you do. I love. We'll talk. I want to ask you about your phone in a minute. Guys, this is our first live in-studio Dojo Discussions video. Now, usually when you watch these videos, you see me and somebody else on Zoom. But today, I have a, my good friend, Professor Carlos Alvarez. He's here in the studio because he came to do something very cool for us this week, actually last night. And I'm going to get to uh, him, and we're going to talk all about it. Before we do that, if you're new to the channel, Disciple Dojo, this is a this is a biblical dojo, a, a place to come and to train, to be challenged, to grow, to have things that you believe uh, put through the rigor of Scripture, and just like in a real dojo, you know, yesterday when we were training, we were trying to strangle each other and trying to break each other's arm and trying to, you know, choke each other, and that's how we get better through our training is actually by sparring with each other, and it's the same thing with our biblical faith, our discipleship. We don't grow unless we spar, unless we have a safe, controlled environment where we can come together and make each other better. And that's what Disciple Dojo is here to do. So if you're new to this channel, click around on a playlist here on our YouTube channel, see some of our video studies, see our superhero seminary, short videos, see our different interviews, our study Bible reviews, all of this material, it's entirely free. Thanks to our Dojo donors, those of you that give faithfully to this ministry and help us do this. We really appreciate it. If you would like to support us after watching this interview, I'm going to have a link in the description below. One more thing before we jump in. If you have not already, check out our Disciple Dojo online store. We have a number of designs. They're jujitsu related. Some are Bible related. Some are a little bit of both. So whatever type of nerd you are, Bible nerd, jujitsu nerd, check out Disciple Dojo store. Everything you buy there helps this ministry out. You get some fun stuff, and you help raise the awareness for Disciple Dojo. So, without further ado, we are here with my friend, Professor Carlos Alvarez. How are you today, sir? Good, very good. Thank yeah. you for this invitation. It has uh, been a wonderful time. and I We've had fun. Nice. We've had a good time. It's been two and a half days. We met on social media. We connected because of a map made. If you haven't seen... Carlos's Matt Made video. Go follow Matt Made on Instagram. They did a wonderful video, not just on him, but on a number of really inspiring people in jujitsu, mm -hmm. a couple of whom I know personally. And we connected through that, and I knew this guy needed to come visit Disciple Dojo. Uh, his story is pretty amazing, and I'm going to have him tell you a little bit about himself, but then we're just going to talk because I, I want to ask him all kinds of stuff. For those of you that don't know, Carlos is completely blind. He is also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He teaches, he trains, he competes at the highest level in IBJJF competition. He's got a competition coming up uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, actually, yeah, yeah, down in Charleston. So we are excited. You're the first non, you're, you're the first athlete we've had here at Disciple Dojo. I usually have PhD Bible people or pastors, you know, you're you're the first, yeah, you're the first athlete. What a honor, what a privilege <laughs> to be the first Jiu-Jitsu athlete in this yes. podcast. Yes, I'm, I'm not the athlete, I'm the coach, the teacher, 
my competition days are probably mostly in the past, but yours, you're at the, the beginning of the mm -hmm. peak of your career when you're coming into your own. Yeah. So that's exciting. So tell our watching viewers, how would you introduce yourself to somebody that didn't know anything about you, where you come from, or your story? So my name is Carlos Alvarez. I am 29 years old. I am from a little country in South America called Ecuador. I've been living in Miami, Florida, USA for almost eight years. Uh, I am a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've been training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for almost 13 years, and I have two years as a black belt. I am a baby black belt, <laughs> and I am totally blind. I was born with a congenital glaucoma. I lost my eyesight completely 10 years ago. I always suffered in my life with this glaucoma, so my vision was not that perfect. I always have like a some little issues with my eyes. And when I was 15, I lost my sight on my right eye from one day to other. And then little by little, I started to lose uh, my sight on my left eye. Um, basically, I try to show to the people that nothing is impossible. I am a super strong believer in Jesus Christ and I always put everything in the hands of God, and I am pretty sure that God is the one that gives me the strength to continue fighting every day and to continue helping me in whatever thing that I need to do or that I need to face in the everyday life. So basically, that's my little introduction. <laughs> that's a perfect introduction. And it's uh, one is, yes, God does bless you tremendously because of I've seen your faith and your determination and also your family, the, the bond you have, especially beginning to spend the past couple of days with you and your mother and your aunt. That's been really cool to see. And we'll talk about some more about that because you and I have that in common. We both have very strong, godly family that supports us. And, and it's huge. But I want to I want to back up for a minute. So you. When you were born with congenital glaucoma, mm -hmm. when you were small, like when you were little, little child, was there ever a time where your eyesight was was normal or were you or you always have difficulty seeing from the time you were even when you could see? Tell me a little bit about that, because that's fascinating to me. So when I was a little kid, like uh, my eyesight was already failing, but I didn't know because I never asked to the people how mm -hmm. was their side, you right, know? Right, right. So I was thinking that was fine until I found out about the problem when I was 15 that I mm -hmm. lost my right eye from one day to other. So that one was... day your right eyesight just went out. Yeah. So you just had vision in your left eye. And then I asked to my family, hey, mom. I remember that I asked to my mom, like, a mom, I cannot see with my right eye. I don't know what is happening. Mm. So she freaked out and she took me to the eye doctor immediately. Mm. And they gave us the bad news that I was born with congenital yeah. glaucoma and that I was going to become yeah. blind. And so was, did you, when you were younger, were you able to 
did you have trouble seeing like between light and dark or color differentiating colors? Because other people are talking about maybe these colors or this lights or these things that I can't see as well. Like how did you... Yeah, I used to have like uh, some little problems with the lights. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, the lights were too strong for me and sometimes that the lights be like uh, make my vision be a little bit blurry uh -huh. and I was like what this why this is happening you right. know and then sometimes for example my father used to do everything in the house he's mm. a very smart person and he just he could fix whatever thing that is broken mm -hmm. you know and he used to teach me and my brother to fix the stuff and everything um, for me it was complicated like to, for example, one day we were uh, we bought a, a table, but in the supermarket that we bought the table, the, you had to like uh, fix the table, like put, put it together, put it yeah. together, and you need to este, like instructions. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. follow the instructions and use the tools in right. order to adjust the table. And so my brother was doing awesome mm -hmm. everything, but when I tried to adjust it, it was hard. I couldn't do it. And I was thinking that something bad was happening to me because I couldn't see very well how mm -hmm. to do the adjustments of the table and it was hard. It was hard to, was it hard to read the instructions or hard to actually see the pieces? The pieces. So yeah, those little yeah. screws and things yeah. to put together. Mm -hmm. Man, that's, and but you didn't know until you were 15. Yeah. And you lost, and that's when you found your family found out yeah. that you had glaucoma. Mm -hmm. So when you were 15 then, um, how long was it between when you lost your right eye sight completely and when your left eye, when you lost all of the rest of your sight? How long a period was that? It was five years. Five years? Yeah, because I became totally blind, blind when I was 19. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I became totally blind because I had surgeries mm -hmm. on my eyes because what happened with the glaucoma is that we all have a optic nerve mm -hmm. in our brain and this optic nerve helps us to see right, right right so this optic nerve has a pressure and the glaucoma what it does is that makes the pressure of the optic nerve go up mm -hmm. like extremely up uh -huh. and when that happens you start to lose your sight so they had a surgery, like a, they put the pressure down, they put some like a little shunts on each eye so that the pressure could be down mm -hmm. and also to maintain the pressure in the correct right. uh, level. Give right? you the right amount of pressure yeah. that your eye, uh, optic nerve would need. So, but my pressure was too high that the doctors were a little bit afraid and concerned. Mm -hmm. So they, they told me that they could have two possibilities of this surgery. The first possibility was that I was going to be able to recover a little bit more of my side, of my, on my left eye, and mm -hmm. that this will be right. Like I, I was going to be like a legally blind person, but I was going to be fine, you know? Right. And then the second option was that in a few months later that I could lost my sight completely so you had it was it was either it will help a little bit not ever perfect but it will help some or it could go bad and you could miss it uh, lose all your like eyes lost everything yeah. yeah so how did you 
what did you think initially when you were given that choice? I always try to be positive, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, I think when you are positive, the things mm -hmm. go well, you know. Now, when you, let me ask you this. If you had not had the surgery at all, you still your vision would have continued to decline. Yeah. So it was it was basically it's it's going to eventually you're going to lose your vision if we don't do anything. Yeah. So we can try this. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work, then you'll end up what's going to happen anyway. Yep. I know that's got to be scary. Um, how was it? How did your how did your family respond to all of that? How were they during this process? Because for us, sometimes when we have something wrong with us, we can handle it or deal with it our own way. But for people, our family, it's really hard or people watching Super tough. that care about us. So how did they deal with it? For them was uh, very bad news. They mm -hmm. were super sad. Mm -hmm. uh, my father got depressed. My mother also, she got super depressed. But also in that time, like uh, my family was having some issues, some problems. My parents got separated. So it was like a two shot, super strong. Right. But they were also super sad because of my situation. But they mm -hmm. tried to help me, mm -hmm. especially my father. My father helped me a lot in that season because when they got separated, I decided to go to live with my father. Mm -hmm. and my father supported me so much and he was always taking me to the doctors he was always looking for a solution to fix mm -hmm. my eyes you know mm -hmm. so but my mother also she was always praying for me she was always calling me and worry and concern yeah. it was a bad news because all the parents want the best yeah, they, they children, want their kids. The know? worst thing is a parent watching their kid in pain or watching their kid depressed yeah. or suffering. So mm -hmm. I can imagine how tough that would have been on them. Yeah. Yeah. But you you had the surgery. Now, when you had already started jujitsu by this point, right? Yeah, I was a blue belt with two stripes. Yeah, so starting jujitsu with some, some eyesight uh, and then finishing or well you we know, both know you never finish jujitsu uh you just start over when you get your black belt <laughs> but getting to black belt getting to that starting over point without sight that's a huge accomplishment you Thank know you and much. and and i brought i mean we had a great time i want to hear your thoughts on our uh training session yesterday and what we did because we've trained together twice now yeah the first night carlos came and taught a class for me for us at Leadership Martial Arts, Henzo Gracie Charlotte, he taught the kids class there. And then he taught my Wednesday night class in the Gi, uh, which I, he was the instructor there. And after, at the end of class, we got to roll. And then the next morning, uh, he called, he uh, texted me on WhatsApp at maybe like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. sometime early. I'm not yeah. a morning person. He is a morning person. Yes. And we're filming this in the morning. For the record, it is like like eight thirty right now. Oh, it's nine. Okay, so we uh, this is way earlier than I'm ever awake. But he texted me the next morning a voice message. He was so excited. Hey, can we go train? I'd like to train. I want you to show me it. And uh, so we ended up going and training at lunch. What was that like for you? Well, super cool. But um, first of all, I want to say something. So the first role that. When I got the opportunity to do the seminar, 
I roll with the Professor J, and he chose. You got to say JM because my mom's watching this, and okay. the M is important. So, so James Michael, the, so you got to get them both. So JM. <laughs> so I, I roll with the first roll with the Professor JM, mm -hmm. and he choked me with a super super good Ezekiel choke, and I was like, wow, that was so awesome because I was not expecting, because he did it from a very specific position that it's kind of hard to submit people from that position. I was doing close guard and he was inside of my close guard. And I was like, there is no way that he could choke me when he was trying. And then he did it. And I was like, whoa, that was so awesome. And I was thinking about it all the night. I was able to sleep good. But then when I got up at like a, at 5.30, 6 a.m., I was like, whoa, that was so awesome. I need to ask him to teach me how to do this because like it's amazing. So I sent him a message and he was able to tell me that he he wanted to teach me and so we have in the morning we had a private class he taught me all the details of how to dominate the Ezekiel and it was so cool it, it was one of the best classes that I had ever had in my life like the professor JM is mm. a super good instructor <laughs> he explained the techniques really really well uh, I appreciate uh, that I appreciate and and what was cool about it was um, I liked working with you because I it makes me have to be let me tell you if you want to be a better teacher teach someone who doesn't uh, have the ability to watch what you're doing and they have to listen to what you're saying and they have to feel what yeah, you're doing exactly. it makes me and 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 professor tc i think would agree too uh my instructor it it makes us have to be much better teachers because you can't just say yeah watch this do this put your hand here and it, and so as an instructor i had to there were a lot of things I've taught that number of Ezekiel variations. Uh, if you're watching this, by the way, Ezekiel is a, a choke in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu using your sleeve or your own hand to compress the carotid arteries. It's named after a judo player who went to Brazil, Ezekiel, I can't remember his last name. I think it started with a P, but he, he would use a common judo move, a Sotogaruma Jame, which is a sleeve choke. And he started choking out all these Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys and and they, it, it, was, it's no, it wasn't a common move. So he, the story goes, as Henzo tells it, that they started calling it the Ezekiel. They just name it after the guy that did it on them. And uh, so they called it the Ezekiel choke. And he never knew. He went back to wherever and never knew that they were calling this choke after him. Uh, but as a Bible teacher and an Old Testament guy, of course, the prophet Ezekiel, I love the book of yeah, Ezekiel. And so... I, that's what, that's not why it's my favorite choke, but it's the Ezekiel choke is definitely my favorite choke. And it's so underrated. I see on forums all the time on, on the internet, people laugh like, Oh, you'll never submit me in my guard. And I just think, well, okay, but you really can, if I can, you know, if somebody can get your neck and your hands are below your waist, you, no matter what position you're in, you're open for a choke. So I've never understood that, um, this disdain that people have. For Ezekiel's, were you taught any? Were you were taught it before the Ezekiel choke? Did you learn it as like beginning, like I did, and then put it away? Like a, a lot of professors taught me how to do it, but I never pay attention too much to right. it because it was not that effective mm -hmm. when people try to do it to me. Like I, I've been training for real. I've been training for thirteen years. I think only. 
three persons had done Ezekiel chokes mm. on me and that's it because I always defend myself I consider mm. that I had a very good defense skills mm -hmm. and basically I didn't have too much faith in the Ezekiel choke <laughs> right. until two days ago that you did it to me and I was like whoa because I had a super good friend that her name is Dana Greenlee. I mm -hmm. hope she's going to be able to see this video. She's super Christian too. And What's her name, Dana? Dana? Dana Greenlee. Dana, I hope you're watching this. So basically she loves Ezekiel's too. And yes. she's always talking to me as, uh, about Ezekiel's. And I was like, ah, no, Ezekiel doesn't go <laughs> Nobody could choke me with that. And then you choked me so easily. And it was like, whoa. Well, let's be clear with the audience. I, I only, I did hit it on you once and then i tried all day when we rolled again and we rolled for 30 minutes straight yeah we had a long roll no timer it was just he and i and i could not hit it again because you your defense was you were doing all the things that we had talked about and i don't think anybody's going to hit it on you for a long time after this <laughs> because i think your i think your defense for it is really good he has an amazing guard you guys his uh, Carlos is closed guard for those of you that do jujitsu. I know some Bible people are watching this and they don't know anything about jujitsu. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But for those of you that are grapplers, um, his closed guard is very good and his control tightness, lasso guard, arm bars from closed guard, everything that involves keeping connection. Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously he's not able to see what his opponent's doing. But the beauty of jujitsu, you don't have to see. Once you put hands on someone, then you know what they're doing. Because even if you, if you, if I have my hand on your arm and you move your other leg or your other arm, it transmits through your body and I can feel it a little bit or I at least can sense what you're doing. And so that's, that's a, one of the reasons that jujitsu is tailor made for not just for people who are blind, but for many other disabilities. I've seen jujitsu do amazing things for people. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, tell me what's a technique. <clears throat> Let's talk jujitsu for a little bit. What's the first submission that you ever really felt comfortable? Like this is my move, or I've I understand this. And at what belt level were you when that happened? I was a white belt, mm -hmm. and in the beginning for me it was super tough because I was super skinny, very weak, and all my classmates were huge, <laughs> way bigger than me. I was the skinniest one and the youngest one. So all my classmates already have like a, a good level of jiu-jitsu, so they used to smash me mm -hmm. every day, every day. I suffer for almost... Five months. Mm -hmm. I suffered every day. I Starting used to out. tap every day. I remember that I used to go to my house and I used to cry because I received a lot of bullying in high school and also like uh, people used to tap me in the gym <laughs> all the time. So I was like, why, why, God, why this is happening to me? But then my mother was always telling me, don't give up. You're going to get good. Don't give up. Continue mm -hmm. going. And I used to go like every day. The beauty is that the people at, at the people that are so the bullies at school they don't want you to succeed they don't have your best interest yeah but the people tapping you in jujitsu they, they want, want to you to get better so the goal yes. is hey we're gonna make you have to get better and eventually mm -hmm. you will like Henzo Henzo talks about it. he says the key to this sport is you're you're the hammer I mean you're the nail and you get hammered all the time and you just keep showing up until one day you are no longer the nail, you become the hammer. 
And he says, and then you smash them back. So when did you when did you start to turn that corner and find a move or, or a technique or a strategy that you started having success with? So basically, my favorite uh, analog is the ambar. Mm -hmm. Ambar from close guard. Ambar from close guard. I love the ambar from close guard. Uh, in the people in a gym that I used to train a long time ago, they used to call me the Anna collector because <laughs> I used to tap everyone with my... I still tap a lot of people with my armbar. You almost caught me with it, only only because I knew it was your move and you told me yeah. that I was very on guard for it. <laughs> so, yeah, so basically like the first time that I realized that, realized that that was my move was when I was... When I have like a five months training, I keep... Almost on my same way division came from other school to visit the school. Mm -hmm. And it was a challenge because he was almost my same weight, my same age. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is going to be cool because he, he also had the same time as me training. So my professor put me to roll with him. And I was like, wow, okay, this is going to be great because finally going to be fighting against someone of almost my same weight. Right. So I pulled guard immediately and I had him in my close guard. He couldn't open. And then I got his arm and I ambered him. And that was the first time ever in my life that I should meet someone in the gym. I was so happy. I felt like a, I won a tournament. I couldn't <laughs> control myself. But even my professor was like, well, that was a beautiful ambar. So cool. And I was so proud about it. I, mm. I got home and I, tell my, I told my mother, Mom, I did this. And she was <laughs> like, wow, that's so awesome. You never forget that first moment in jiu-jitsu because for people that don't train, I have, I, so I teach not not just my refugee kids class, but when I teach at, at Hensel Gracie Charlotte, most of the people in the classes I teach are beginners, are brand new, white belts, and they're just starting. And some instructors, they only like to teach competition class or black belts or advanced classes. But my favorite students are the brand new white belts that don't know anything because they experience, I get to watch them experience exactly what you're talking about that moment where for months and, and he's not kidding people watching this it is months usually before you feel like you can do anything in mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu you feel like you're drowning oh. you're just trying to tread water and keep your head above water which is part of what makes jiu-jitsu so um addictive for some people is because they love that challenge they finally come and do something and they're not immediately good at it but for other people it makes them want to quit because they want to immediately be good at something and that's part of, I think, I, I'm everybody that does jiu-jitsu, they say that is a key aspect of jiu-jitsu is teaching you that humility. No matter who you are, I came into jiu-jitsu with 20 year, tw over 20 years of martial arts training, but I'd never grappled. And so my 20 years of martial arts training was worth zero mm -hmm. on the mat because yeah. I got tapped out repeatedly, repeatedly. And uh, so how, why, why do you think... Why do you think armbar was your thing? Why did you think that move came naturally to you? I don't know. Like, uh, the thing is, that what happened is that the first submission that I saw that my friend did, that my friend that introduced me into Jiu-Jitsu did, was a, um, uh, like a flying armbar. Oh, yeah, that's right. When you and still I, had your sight, your friend yeah. showed you demonstrating and he showed a flying arm bar so he he was doing a flying arm bar to another guy and i was like whoa i love immediately mm -hmm. that 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 uh, look and i asked to my professor please 
showed me ambers and he showed me the, the amber from closer and I felt so comfortable because of the connection mm -hmm. that you have with your opponent when you are doing closer mm -hmm. because when you are doing closer you are able to feel mm -hmm. your opponent's body completely so yeah. every move that he does you are going to be able to feel it yeah, especially if, if you are controlling the lapels and the arms, it's very easy to control your opponents. So that's why I felt so comfortable. Yeah, let me and let me unpack for those because again, we have mixed audience maybe that are watching this. If mm -hmm. you don't know jujitsu, closed guard is when one opponent is on their back and the other opponent it seems like they're winning because they're on top. If it were a fight and you didn't know any martial arts, you'd say. Well, that person's on the bottom and that person's on the top. So the person on the top must be winning. But what closed guard is, it's jiu-jitsu's signature position. There's no other martial art where closed guard is considered an actual position. Mm -hmm. um, in wrestling, you're getting pinned because you're on your back. You know, I think in sambo, you're getting pinned because you're on your back. So they kind of, other martial arts, even other grappling arts, don't see the value or, or I should say this way, they see the value. Their sport doesn't uh, reward being on your back the way mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu doesn't penalize you for it. So closed guard, you're on your back, and you use your legs to wrap around your partner. And so your hands are free to engage and grab their posture, their wrist, to keep you from getting punched or to defend yourself. And your legs are holding them in place. So you're using all four of your weapons and your opponent, they're on their knees or they're standing over you, they just have their hands. And I think that's one of the genius um, aspects of being of having a good closed guard. I, I noticed rolling with you and even you teaching the techniques you've taught these past couple of days, it's all about getting a lot of connection. I did not know, I don't play a lot of lasso guard and you explain the difference between a regular lasso guard and a deep lasso guard or would you say deep and shallow or deep and shallow deep and shallow lasso mm -hmm. guard i'd never known that there was a difference between the two in terms of technical or in terms of terminology so you were able to show me and as soon as you showed me it made so much more sense because a shallow lasso guard you don't have a it's lot of connection mm -hmm. But the deep lasso guard, you're, you really, your leg really is lassoing their entire arm, mm -hmm. tying it up. And I'd never been to... So what you showed, just the lasso guard technique you showed, I'm going to be unpacking that next Wednesday and, and, and drilling it again with the class. Oh, next week. Yeah, you're, so your class is going to continue next week. You won't be there. But I will continue <laughs> unpacking that because it made the way you showed it made a lot of sense to me. Um, I how do you how do you learn? Well, this is this is gonna be a weird question, but how do you learn jujitsu? And and what I mean, I don't mean being blind. How do you learn jujitsu? I'm gonna ask you about that in a minute. But what I mean is, some people learn by doing. They have to do it. They're called kinesthetic learners. They, they, you, you tell them something, it doesn't make sense. You show them something, it doesn't make sense. But when they do it themselves, their body movement makes it make sense in their brain. Other people are visual learners. They have to see it. You can tell them, you can show them, but, but they have to step away and see it from a, 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 a further back perspective. And then other people are conceptual learners. And, and this is where I fall. I can see a move and it kind of makes sense. I can feel it 
and it starts to make a little more sense. But when somebody explains the theory behind the move, like what are you trying to do at the end of the day? What is the big goal you're trying to accomplish? To me, then that's when all of the pieces fall into place. So you're, I'll give you an example of why I say that. And then I want you to tell me of those, what is your way? When you were showing Lasso Guard, I've been doing jujitsu since 2007, 2006, 2007. Um, never played a lot of lasso guard. I would only use lasso guard to sometimes keep my partner from running around to pass my guard because you can threaten a bicep slicer. Mm-hmm. But that's I didn't really know why lasso guard existed or what it was used for other than I knew you could get that technique from it. So I had a little bit of understanding. when When you were showing it, what I realized, and for some people that play Lasso Guard, they're probably listening to this going, well, how is this guy a black belt? Everybody knows this. But jiu-jitsu is such a wide sport that there are techniques you don't learn even the process until you're a black belt. Um, so I realized watching you and then feeling it, Lasso Guard is a way of taking your opponent's base away so they cannot base in any direction. And when you did the second movement where then you you lasso around, not just the lasso guard on their arm, but then you use your foot to go under them and elevate, then in my mind, conceptually, I was thinking, oh, you've, you've taken his ability to base away, and now you he's, he's, if they're standing up, he's become a tower, and you're tipping the tower over. And if he kneels down into combat base, you you, you have to take his leg base away as well, so you just take one more base and then you're just tipping over a shorter tower. But so in my head, I'm just giving you an insight. That's how, when you were showing, I was breaking it down into these conceptual ideas. And now it makes way more sense to me than when somebody's like, okay, first you put your hand here, and now you're going to do this, and now you're going to do this. You know, the way some people teach jujitsu, they don't explain why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So that's just a little insight. That's how I pick up jujitsu well. Now, in terms of, I, I know visual, you've never been a visual learner when jujitsu because your eyesight has always been mm-hmm. problematic. So you've had to be one of the other ways of learning. How do you best learn? How do you absorb techniques and how do techniques make sense? Do you, in your mind, do you picture techniques or do you think of them as feeling only? Or do you have to have your body do it before it makes sense? Or, or can you just pick things up if I someone explains the concept to you. I always think that in my case, for being blind, like uh, I think listening and feeling are the best two ways for me to learn. So whenever the professor is going, is about to teach the technique in whatever school that I visit, I always ask to the professor to use me as the dummy you mm, know, mm-hmm. so that he could do the technique on me and then I am able to feel it, right? right so I right. try to feel every detail, every adjustment that he does with the body. Mm-hmm. And then I am super focused in what I am listening. I think one of the advantages of being blind is that you don't get distracted by the things that are around you right because sometimes you could have like some classmates talking or <laughs> things happening around you right right and you get distracted and you're not watching the technique so feeling and listening is so important 
in my case, and I think for everyone. Mm -hmm. Because even when I am teaching, I always tell my students, like, hey, close your eyes and do this with the eyes closed. And they <laughs> yes. do it, and it's so different, and they get it. Yes. Because when they are watching, when they are seeing, like, they cannot do the technique, they struggle. But when I tell them, close the eyes, they do it, and it's amazing. <laughs> so basically, I always try to get focus on feeling, mm -hmm. feeling and listening is so important. Then the professor does the technique on me. I have to make him repeat a couple of times because there are some techniques that have like a, a little bit of disconnection. So I need to touch with my hands, the legs or, or, or what the professor is doing. And once I feel it and I know how to do it, I ask to the professor to let me do it on him. And if it's right, it's good, but if not, he corrects me and helps me. Yeah. yeah, that's so. TC Professor TC, who you roll with, my instructor, he is a kinesthetic learner. He has to. He can hear a move. He can understand it. He can comprehend it, but he doesn't get it fully until he does it or feels it done to him. And that's I like that um, because you there's something in jujitsu you can learn not just you doing the move, but for me, you know, having somebody do the move on you. Then, especially as you get more advanced, and especially you're at a level now as a black belt, where if you if somebody like like when I the the Ezekiel choke I managed to hit on you, now I knew I was never going to hit that on you again. That's a one time thing. That once somebody hits it on you, you you become so aware of how to block it again that that you're able to defend it. But I could I you feeling it, I knew okay he know he knows what adjustments to make. Mm -hmm. I just want to, and which in our lesson that we did, I just want to give him some uh, tips and some uh, concepts that will help him s like sense when he can do it in other positions and other times and feeling, getting, getting somebody to do a move on you really does make a difference. Yeah. Cause you have to reverse Huge engineer. Difference because it's different of than way different than watching. Yes, feeling is the best thing because, especially in jiu-jitsu, it's the it's the sport that you need to have the most connection as possible with your opponent to get to the place that you need to go, mm. and also to submit your opponent. Do you find when so you teach now? You have, guys, I'm wearing. If you see this shirt, I'm wearing uh, the shirt that Professor gave me, and it says, uh, "I support blind warriors," and blind warrior is your organization, your your mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you do instruction for blind students. Is it located in Miami? Yeah, it's in Miami. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you offer free instruction for other visually impaired and blind people to do jujitsu as well. Yeah. What is the biggest hesitancy among visually impaired or blind people when it comes to just getting on the mat and trying it? What's their biggest fear or reservation, or what are they most uncertain about? So whenever a blind person never had done any sport, they feel super insecure about it. They mm. feel afraid, especially when they listen jiu-jitsu, come to try jiu-jitsu. They are always thinking about karate yeah. or kung fu, <laughs> so they are thinking about striking. Mm -hmm. So they are thinking that they are going to get hurt or injured and that someone is gonna punch them or kick them and they are thinking like there is no way that I can do jiu-jitsu because I cannot see, right? Right, right, right. So but whenever they 
face the fear and they come. I always try to treat them in the best way as possible. I am always guiding them to the mat. I help them with the uniform. And I always try to show them that it's a grappling style mm -hmm. and that if you have connection with your opponent's body is going to be great mm -hmm. and also that it's not a striking thing so that they don't have to feel worried about it and I always try to be present for whatever blind student that I have mm -hmm. I give my 100% right. to explain and obviously because I cannot see so like uh, I need to be there for them because I understand what mm -hmm. it means to be blind. That's why I think I am the pers perfect person to teach blind people because sure. I understand the situation. Yeah. So basically, I always try to make them feel comfortable and feel everything because mm. everything is about feeling. Because for the blind people, our hands are our eyes. Uh -huh. So basically, touching and listening is everything. Yeah. So tell me about, because this is... And, and I've gotten to spend time with you the past couple of days. Um, you know, I don't hesitate. I put my hand on, when I have to talk to you, I put my hand on your shoulder or I touch or I, I just to let you know, mm -hmm. uh, to get your attention because so many of our cues, our conversational cues are nonverbal and non-physical for pe for seeing people. They just, they, you can look at someone or they can, with a look, you can tell if they're trying to get your attention or if they're trying. So when I had, like when you were with the kids last night, I had to tell the kids, guys, don't just wave your hand or don't wait for him or try to nod, you know, like come up, you can tap him on the shoulder. If you're going to shake his hand, grab his hand. He can't see your hand. <laughs> and so there were some of them, you could see they were, they weren't used to it. They loved you and they loved having you there. Yeah. But I think we see, especially people that do have our sight, we take for granted how different a world it is for people that don't have sight and how many things we do naturally that are non-verbal and non-tactile that don't involve touch. So what is what are some things that people that see, how do, how, how do seeing people, how can they make life easier for you for and other blind people? Like what are things, tips... Uh, concepts that they should know. Is it okay to touch a blind person on the shoulder here and say hello, or should you wait for them to extend a hand? Um, you know, give them some things like that because a lot of people just don't know. They they mm -hmm. they they don't have they don't mean anything by it, un but they just don't know, and so they feel awkward, and that makes them not want to engage with blind people. So, what are some tips for everybody watching this? So, the first thing, don't feel uncomfortable when you are around a blind person because mm -hmm. maybe that blind person is needing help. Mm -hmm. Maybe that blind person is needing support to go to a place or something. So, it's always good to touch the shoulder mm -hmm. and to talk to the blind person and also ask if the person needs help. So do they not, do they not get in, blind people won't be insulted if you, because sometimes people think, oh, I don't want to ask if they, if I, if I say, oh, do you need any help? They may think, no, I don't need any help. Why would you ask me that? I can do what I want. I'm capable. But you're saying they not, they won't get offended or upset. No, or upset. because if they I are in a new place, uh, they will feel that they need help. So it's always good to ask. Mm -hmm. And you, you're, tell me about the cane. Because you told the kids last night it was a great tip, and I actually had never thought about it, but the, with the color of the cane. So basically, when the cane is 
The color is completely white. That means that the person is completely blind. There are some different colors. Uh -huh. That means that the the other color, I don't remember what color is it, but uh, it's like a, that means that the person is legally blind, that is able to see a little bit. I think it's green. Okay. But I But a white cane means completely, completely blind. Completely blind. And so you said when you see someone with a white cane, you can, you should introduce yourself or go up or ask them if you can help in any way yeah. or if they need anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good because I think some people are afraid. They don't want to sound condescending. The two reactions to, to blind people, they either think, I don't want to sound condescending. I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to him or they're just, they, they're uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. And so they just stay away. People with, and not just blind, other disabilities, people feel that way. Like they have to stay away. Yeah. In this case, don't do that because that person might need your help mm -hmm. so the best thing to do is to ask very polite like say hello and then ask if the person needs help yeah i that's... think that's the best thing to do and always offer when you are about to walk if the person requires your help always offer your shoulder okay. never grab the guy like <laughs> and try to pull him because that's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable always offer the shoulder and he's going to place the hand on your shoulder and mm -hmm. You guys will be able to walk normal because yeah. the other the blind person is gonna be using his cane and uh -huh. it's gonna be fine. Yeah, we walked over here from the hotel and and you I was your I was your seeing eye dog. Yeah. <laughs> Bowie was in the he has a seeing eye dog named Bowie, mm -hmm. a sweetheart who's just a big goofball and a very good Bowie was so well behaved. Yeah, super um, smart boy. But without Bowie, you know, he just put his hand on my shoulder. We walked right over and. I told him I wouldn't make him walk very far. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's annoying. You know, I like when you said walking is annoying when you're blind, especially in a new place. Mm -hmm. I want to ask specific questions because you do, you've done a number of podcasts and sometimes people ask you the same questions over and yeah, over. And, and I'm more interested in, in the questions that maybe you haven't been asked as much. Uh, I want to know, so you picked up arm bars as your early move, mm -hmm. but you learned that when you could see. Yep. So since you lost your sight completely, have there been moves, techniques that you've gotten better at or that were that were new to you that you never saw before? You never learned them while you could see. You learned them as someone who was completely blind and they just made sense to you. Yeah. What give me some example. For example, the leg looks Mm -hmm. I used to do the straight ankle lock when I was a white belt, but then I didn't know anything more. I used to know like a little bit of toe holes and that's it. Right. But then when I was a blue belt and I became totally blind, I didn't know anything. But my professors and my cousin, that he's also a jiu-jitsu black belt now, he helped me to learn leg locks. Yeah. And that was something completely new for me. And I felt so comfortable with that too. Now we're leg locks because there's, for those who don't do jujitsu, there, there's a division in jujitsu. Some people love leg locks and that's all they do. And they, mm -hmm. it's like, they don't know anything except how to attack legs. And then some people hate leg locks and they won't even let their students do leg locks until sometimes purple. I've even heard of brown belts that don't yeah. know how to do leg I locks. So coming up in your academy training growing up, how were leg locks viewed? 
because you compete IBJJF where mm-hmm. most mini leg locks are frowned upon and the ones that are allowed, they're very specific conditions. You can't reap the knee. You you know, you have very dirt, certain twisting locks you can't do. How were leg locks treated in your academy? In my academy, they were treating, they received the leg locks really well. Mm-hmm. And I used to have like a super crazy classmates that used to do <laughs> knee bars, heel hooks, and uh-huh. the, all those type of techniques and it was fine my professor always have like a, a super open mind and he always wanted to learn the new information and to teach the information and to apply everyday the information mm-hmm. so yeah. were you allowed to uh gi no gi did it matter you yeah can do gi, no gi, you can do it always asking to your partner if your partner is uh, okay you can mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. henzo charlotte we because uh TC is the lineage from Henzo, and there's a lot more MMA-focused, Jiu-Jitsu for MMA, uh, as opposed to Jiu-Jitsu for just the Gi, and a lot of also other martial arts influences, uh, Sambo influences in his own instruction and TC's. So from White Belt, we learned heel hooks, knee reaping, uh, toe holds, everything in the Gi. And because his rationale was... You are not going to have any control over what your opponent is wearing outside of a tournament. So you need to be able to defend, even if you don't attack leg locks, Mm -hmm. you need to have defense against leg locks. Because most people that injure themselves, most leg lock injuries, not all, but most, are from the person defending it, twisting, spinning, doing some kind of sudden motion, Mm -hmm. and then their knee pops. And everybody thinks the bad guy is the person who is doing it, which sometimes it is. But some, most of the times, especially the injuries I've seen, it's the person who's not defending correctly or they, they get scared. Or also not tapping because they want to escape and they want to show yes. that they are strong and that's the biggest mistake. Yes, you know? they don't know the day because knee, the leg, knee, knee attacks can come on very fast. Mm-hmm. And before you feel the pain, sometimes there can be injury. Yeah, especially the heel hooks. Heel yeah. hooks are super dangerous if the person don't tap. Yeah. For those who don't know jiu-jitsu, heel hook is where you isolate the person's knee and thigh to, from moving. And then you use your body and your arms to turn, literally twist their foot at the heel in a, in a direction so the upper leg is not moving, but the lower leg is rotating and something's going to pop. Usually it would be the ligaments around the knee yeah. or sometimes around the ankle, depending. It destroy your knee forever. Yeah. My way of thinking as a black belt is don't avoid teaching that. Teach yeah. it correctly and teach the defense to it first. So when I teach heel hooks, before I ever teach any student how to do a heel hook, I teach them, okay, here's what a heel hook is. And if you get caught in this position, you know you need to tap before it it hurts because there's no happy ending from where you are right now. (laughs) And I agree. I think that everyone should teach in their schools how to defend and Mm -hmm. how to do it because it's not only in the competition sports side, but only in the also in the streets, mm-hmm. whatever thing could happen when someone is trying to attack you. Mm-hmm. And if you are able to grab his leg, you can defend yourself really well. So Yeah. And you can break the leg of the person that is attacking you. Yeah. It's good. 
it's all part of defense. I'm going to scoot you over your chair. You're on a rolling chair. It's okay. sliding a little bit out of frame here. <laughs> and I'm not going to edit this out. I'm going to leave this in because I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> this no, no, chair moves away. Um, yes, I, I've seen any technique can be used in a defense situation. Even sport jiu-jitsu techniques, it, there, there's a place for everything. You just have to know how to apply it, and it's the skill of the person doing it. Uh, and now some things are not maybe not like, you know, uh, deep half guard, maybe not the best thing to do if somebody's hands aren't controlled and they're punching you. Yeah. But even in a scramble, in a self-defense scramble situation where the person's trying to grab, they're not really punching, the, even deep half guard could have self-defense scenarios Let you pop out the back, take them over. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think every technique has some kind of merit. I truly believe that, yes, for every technique for Jiu-Jitsu has a self-defense. Yeah. Uh, how I can say, like a, a self-defense. An application for application self-defense. Application for something, yeah. Have you ever trained with um, any kind of striking on the ground? Have you ever done rounds where your partner puts on boxing glove or... or no, never. You got you to gotta try that sometime. I always... I end up... Uh, was like a little bit afraid of striking. Yeah. That's why for me it was kind of hard to practice a martial art because I never, I was always a super good kid. Mm-hmm. Even like a, I received so much bowling, but I never wanted to punch nobody. Yeah. That was, yeah. that, that was my problem because all the kids used to like bother me and make pranks and put nicknames and invited me to fight, but I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to punch them. Right, so right, striking right. for me was a very difficult thing. Yeah. Not only because of my vision problems, but also because my personality. I will never punch yeah. someone in the face, no yeah. matter what. <laughs> and then when I found Jiu-Jitsu, it was like, whoa, this is a very cool way to control and to submit. And it's a, like a, a soft art, yeah. you know? So, it would be, so I would, I think I would be interested to see now you as a black belt, if we were rolling, if I had MMA gloves on and was doing some light, not, not unloading on you, but throwing punches, I still think you could defend against punches because of that connection. I think yeah. because of the feeling and I having rolled with you, like I, I think it wouldn't be easy to get punches on you. That, that's why I was asking if you had ever tried that because of no. your, your feel and your connection so good that uh, maybe next time you come, we can play around with them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. We can try. You would, I, think, I think you would really, we, we do it sometimes what I've, with our, my students. I will have one of the volunteers, like at Refugee mm-hmm. Jitsu, I'll have a volunteer put on boxing gloves and get on top of the kid like a bully holding them down. Yeah. And then I tell the student, okay, now you have to get them off. You have to bump and roll and get an escape. But we talk about the principles of in order for him to punch you, his hands have to be up in the air. Mm -hmm. So if you keep his balance off where his hands, he's having to balance his hands on the ground, he's not punching you. So it's a lot of that jujitsu aspect of not, not blocking punches, but making your partner be in positions where they can't punch because they're using their hands for balance. That they don't have the correct angle to punch you. Right, right. So that would be maybe... 
That maybe in the be future, maybe in the future we'll uh, yeah. we'll do a little pretty sure little mixed throw in a little striking. We can do there. a video about it. <laughs> yes, we'll do an instructional. <laughs> and uh, I think I think if you were able to uh, get a good punch on my face, I think you would enjoy it. I think you would yeah. like how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people watching Disciple Dojo videos that probably want to punch me sometimes <laughs> when, I, when I don't agree with them on a biblical topic or something yeah. like that. So now you are. Uh, you are a Christian. You're very open about your faith. Yep. And Disciple Dojo, we are our Christian ministry. I think I'm going to do a podcast interview next week oh, with nice. someone on can Christians practice martial arts. So if somebody said to you, hey, Carlos, okay, you're a Christian. You always talk about Jesus and about church, but yet you do martial arts, mm -hmm. which teaches you to choke people and yeah. break arms and and take people down. Mm -hmm. So why, what I thought Jesus said, turn the other cheek. What are you doing training martial arts? You're doing the devil's work. You should quit and just go live in a monastery and sing hymns all day. I had listened to that many times. A lot of people, <laughs> like for example, my mother, she was a pastor in my country. So she used to be surrounded by a lot of women that go to church, and when my mother used to tell them, "Hey, my son is my blind son is a, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and he's doing this," and then they were like, uh, "No, he cannot do that. That belongs to the devil. That's crazy." Because they get confused with other martial arts that uh, mm -hmm. they do meditations and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and also the the action of the violence, right? I had listen many people telling me that, but. I always tell them that in a really difficult situation, you will not. If someone comes to attack you, and you will not that person kill you just because you want to love that person. Mm -hmm. You need to defend yourself. You need to survive, you know? Mm -hmm. I always tell that the, the, the life is like a, a jiu-jitsu fight. Why? Because if you let the people take advantage of you, if you let the people do mean things to you all the time and you don't do nothing about it, then you will suffer like nobody's business and you will have a big loss in your life always. Mm -hmm. But that's why you have to fight for every activity that you do in this life in order to success, you have to be positive and fight. Mm -hmm. Every day is a battle. So for example, what happens if you are doing a jiu-jitsu competition, right? And your opponent starts to attack you and you don't do anything about it. What is going to happen? You're going to lose. Yeah, the guy is going to pass your guard, he's going to put me on belly and choke you, <laughs> right? So, but you need, that's why you need to defend yourself. Then you have to attack and win. Mm -hmm. And some days we are going to win. We are going to have good days, amazing days that we will feel wonderful and super great. And some days we are going to lose because everybody taps, right? So the life is like that. Some days we have good days. Some days we have bad days. And I always recommend the people to practice martial arts. I don't believe that this belongs to the devil because also in the Bible, if you guys read the Old Testament, God was all, always helping Israel in their wars against the other 
countries or towns that were their enemies, mm. right? So God was always telling to Israel, Israel, like, go to protect yourself and continue surviving and don't pay attention, just go. And that's something that is very impressive because we believe that God is super good, that God is love, right? But when we read the Old Testament and we see all these conflicts and wars, we wonder, like, what happened, right? That's a lot. Of, I get a lot of that on Disciple Dojo because we look at passages in the Old Testament that seem disturbing to people. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a lot going on in those passages because sometimes the language of the Bible itself uses um, hyperbole. It uses exaggeration uh, when it talks about all the all the earth coming to Joseph to buy grain. And it doesn't mean all the earth. It just means people from all over. And so there are scholars, Old Testament uh, scholars say in the battle accounts, when, when God says, uh, wipe them out, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uses the phrase, uh, women, children, animals, everything that has breath, not, don't let it live. There's a technical term that he's employing that you see in other battle language in the ancient Near East. And it's not literal in the fullest sense, because like when you, the example is in sports, when you're talking like like if you uh, go this weekend and you compete and you let's say you you lose very badly uh, to one match. If you were to come back and somebody says, oh, Carlos, how did you do? And you say, I got destroyed. <laughs> you yeah. didn't literally get destroyed. Yeah. But you got beat so badly that you just said, I got destroyed or I got Kill. killed. Mm -hmm. And when you come to Old Testament passages in the Bible, there's questions about God's using battle language and he is and he is God is presenting himself as a warrior. But some of those passages that we struggle with and we go, oh, God, wait a minute, this even for you, this seems yeah. too much. Some of those, it's, I think one of the things that people need to take into account is that the language is like that language of exaggeration, Where, because you will have the reason I say this. And when you read the Old Testament, God will say uh, in Joshua, it'll say, and, and they wiped out all of these people mm -hmm. and it give the whole names of the city. Yep. Then in Judges, the next book, the very next book, mm -hmm. it says, now people who were still in the land who they did not drive out, rose up and did such and such. So it lets us know that even though the first account says they kill, drive them out, destroy them, utterly destroy them, when you actually read what actually happens, it wasn't everyone that no, was driven yeah. out. It was the, the warriors. Yeah. So the language of wipe them out is usually reserved to what we would call military battles. Yeah not going to a, a peaceful village or going to a, a, a tent or some random person and, and just saying, oh, well, you're not on our side, so I'm going to kill you. Yeah. But it was military battles. Mm -hmm. And like you talked about that image in the Old Testament, God uses warfare imagery a lot, even in the New Testament, yeah. the idea of spiritual war. And of course, we don't battle against flesh and blood. It's not, our enemies aren't people that have other faiths or other beliefs or other ethnicities, mm -hmm. but rather it's, you know, there's a spiritual enemy that hates all of us. Mm -hmm. And the things in your life that are miserable uh, can usually be traced back to that influence in the world and our going along with it, which we call sin and helping people see that the, the world beyond 
what's really what's going on on the everyday level um the spiritual eyes mm-hmm. helping open the spiritual eyes so basically that's why like i feel like god is a warrior mm-hmm. and and i am pretty sure that god invented jiu-jitsu <laughs> there are many stories of who invented the jiu-jitsu but i am pretty sure that god gave to the human being the the ability to learn it you know because he's god you know he can do everything for mm-hmm. him nothing is impossible and even his angels fight against the demons mm-hmm. and they fight mm-hmm. it's a battle you know for the souls mm-hmm. so i i am thinking that maybe they fight for real you know like uh, they they do martial arts maybe they fight <laughs> like a real fight like like uh, when we seen the movies the wars maybe it could be something like that but we don't know right well i tell you in the ancient world of the bible in the world back when the bible was written all of the other faiths all of the other peoples babylonians egyptians the canaanites they all believed that whenever a earthly king battled another earthly king two armies battled mm-hmm. that what was really happening <clears throat> was the heavenly armies were battling yeah. and the results on the ground were the results of who won the heavenly battle mm-hmm. so when the egyptians beat the babylonians it would be because the egyptian gods were stronger than the babylonian gods yeah, they used to have that belief mm-hmm. yeah and so when you, what happens then in the old testament when you see israel not having a massive army like in the days of gideon for instance saying okay no just give me 300 whittle it down to just a few faithful we don't need thousands just give me a few hundred and then when they win the battle they don't even attack they blow the trumpets they shatter the pots they come screaming with torches and the enemies are defeated among themselves or they flee in panic god does a does that in yeah. the old testament a lot mm-hmm. and it's True. it's a very powerful message sending to the people in the ancient world of the gods of your nations are not gods they they don't they aren't ruling there's only one god who rules and it's yahweh one. yeah and and he doesn't yeah, need an army to fight his battle for him if he doesn't want to he can use the ocean the sea yeah he can sea. do whatever he wants to destroy the enemy you know so. and he and the 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 most transformative battle is when you beat the enemy by turning them into your friend and in the new testament reaching across and using the implements of love and service and self sacrifice to that's that's your victory over someone you know because you you've removed an enemy you've created a friend you create a friend and so now you don't have an enemy so you beat them mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's part of jujitsu which is a good mindset is it's the gentle art yeah because for example you and i now we are very good friends but yesterday when we were rolling we were trying to <laughs> yes. choke each other and break our arms and yeah. everything but we're fine we love each other we are super good we had a good relationship and yeah. we trust in each other when we are fighting so it's something very cool it creates know? that bond yeah. training together i tell people that jiu jitsu creates a different level of trust because you're literally putting your hand your life in someone's hands because if you tap and they keep choking that's it you die yeah and uh or your arm breaks mm-hmm. or your leg snap you know True. so you have to trust the people you're training with 
and and it's so cool because it creates that trust yeah. among people who you normally might not trust. Yes. But because you both come together in jujitsu, you're learning. It's it's a very neat way of drawing people together and building friendships. And that's one of the things that I like most, and and why Disciple Dojo is themed around martial arts and jujitsu is because some of the best friends and the people that I trust most, I met in martial arts. I met them trying to strangle each other. Yeah. <laughs> and and I always joke, my best friends try to choke me every day. And it's true. Yes, uh, yeah. It, and they go for real, it's real <laughs> choking. They you know? really do try to choke me, yes. or they really do try to make me tap by, you know, forcing to break my arm. And And it's people that don't do it, they just, I think a lot of the Christian opposition to jujitsu is one, they, like you said, they don't know what jujitsu is. They think mm -hmm. it's kung fu or yoga or, or meditation of some spiritual you, realm, or they think you're invoking some ancient ancestors to give you chi power so yeah. that you can move objects. Because there's all that fake nonsense the out there about uh -huh, the true. chi power stuff mm -hmm. that is just absolute garbage. Yeah. And they don't, they, they think it's something that it's not yeah unfortunately they are they have very close mind and they are a little bit ignorant mm -hmm. they don't know what is it and they don't want to know about it and they are so close mind that if you want to explain it they just say no 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 that belongs to the devil yeah, ah, yeah. they don't agree with you it's so frustrating yeah. when when christians are like that i yes. i don't mind if a christian is ignorant of jujitsu and they think even if they think they think mm -hmm. it's from the devil they think it's a dark art they think it's something yeah. or they think it's ufc and it's and it's going to be brutal and violent and bloody yeah. and whatever okay i don't mind if that's what they believe if they will be open to me saying okay can i show you why it's not that Mm -hmm. And if they will listen, and even at the end of the day, if they're still not convinced that it's okay for them to train, and they're just like, I still just don't have a good feeling about it. To me, I'm okay with that, because at least they listened, and they aren't telling other people, you can't do it, yeah. which is different. But if they're so like, well, I'm not comfortable with that, I'm okay with that. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's fine. Mm -hmm. We all have our personal convictions, yeah. but it's, it's especially Christians mm -hmm. who are dogmatic about, no, it's wrong. Not just for me. It's mm -hmm. wrong for you. It's wrong for, for everyone. everyone. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they act as if that's a biblical justifiable position. Yeah. I had met so, a few people like that and I like, okay, no matter what you tell me, I'm going to continue doing it because what happened is that. I always wanted to learn how to defend myself and I had a I I always put God and Jesus in first place always mm -hmm. and I remember like before giving the step of faith of going to the Jiu Jitsu class I pray and I ask mm -hmm. please Lord let me know if this is good if you mm -hmm. allow me to go to practice this martial art I ask him for a confirmation and for permission right yeah and one of the chapters or characters from the Bible that I really like is the King David mm -hmm. the King David for me is so cool because God raise him and use him in many good ways. And if you see the story of the King David, he was always fighting. 
he was always going to war, you know, and he killed Goliath. Goliath was a giant, mm. the biggest giant in the planet, I think. And David was super brave that he went to fight against him and God gave him the victory. I love, you know what I you love know? about the David story? We, we have a video here where we teach on uh, David and Goliath and, and how big of a giant was he. And, and there's, um, there's, there's different Hebrew manuscripts that say different size or different Greek manuscripts that say different height for Goliath. But either way, he was gigantic yeah. because people in the ancient world were small. The average height of a full grown. How tall are you? Yeah, how tall are you? I am five six, five seven. Okay, so you would be taller than because the ancient people in Israel, ancient time, about five foot three, was the size of a man, a full grown man. So Goliath, even if Goliath was six five, six six, he was still an absolute giant. And God gave David the victory over him. But the Mm -hmm. beautiful, the 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 coolest thing about that story, to me. Because it's all a story about God. David, David, David was just obedient, and he in he that instance, and he wanted to. Be, yeah, God. he was an instrument, and he he was holding to the covenant. And there's so much in that story, but yeah, he learned his skill that he used to beat Goliath by doing his daily work as a shepherd. Yeah, his daily boring routine. Because being a shepherd is boring. You're yeah. just following sheep around and making you sure they don't get thing, lost thing, and taking them to, to grass. Take care of thing, yeah. Yeah. And in his day-to-day routine, you do have to, if you're a shepherd, you have to keep away the wild animals, which back mm-hmm. in the ancient times, there were many more yeah. than there are today. Mm-hmm. And so it was like David, I don't think he was ever thinking while he was out watching his dad's sheep. Like, yeah, I'm learning to be a great leader or a great king or a great warrior. You know, he was not. He was the runt of the litter. He was the nobody in the family. He was the youngest brother, the smallest, probably the skinniest and the, you know, the least physically dominant. His older brothers were soldiers able to serve in Saul's army. Mm -hmm. And God said, I'm going to use the least expected. The weakest ones. To get this victory over the strongest and most powerful enemy. And, and, and it's, it was solely through him preparing him by being a shepherd. And there's such beauty in that. And and it's, and it's when I, you know, like, I think your story and your, your, uh, your testimony. And I don't, when I say testimony, I don't just mean you saying and speaking about your faith, because we talked about last night in the car, you know, how speaking your faith is part of it. Yep. And it's an important part of it. Yep. But living your faith and being consistent on a day-to-day basis and people meeting you off the mats and being like, oh, he's just as nice off the mats. You know, mm-hmm. oh, he's just as dedicated off the mats. He's he's seeing who you really are. That will tell them more about the God you serve than any sermon you ever preach. True. And, 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 and you are, I think, the, you are the exact pattern in scripture of God using what society would say, the guy's blind. He's skinny. He's blind. Mm -hmm. He's from a little country that we don't even know about. (laughs) Equator. Equator? Oh, Ecuador. Okay. Yeah. So all of these things, people look at that and go, you know, no, he's, he's not going to amount to much. Mm -hmm. And yet last week, silver medal in Miami, Mm-hmm. Competed against Joao Miao, 
You've competed against him a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, high level, high level competition. And then this weekend as well, whoever you will end up competing. To me, that's a really cool testimony of what God can do with a person. Thank you very much. It means a lot for me. And I am always trying to glorify the name of God in everything because I am an instrument in His hands and He has taken care of me always since I was in my mother's womb, you know. Mm-hmm. And the life hasn't been easy because nothing is easy in this life. Everything is difficult. That's why we need to fight for what we want. That's why I always say that the life is a jiu-jitsu fight. Mm-hmm. If you don't fight, the guy is going to submit you. But if mm-hmm. you fight, you're going to do great. At least you're going to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why I use the example of the King David because I identify myself so much with mm-hmm. the King David. And I like it so much, the story. Mm-hmm. And I always believe, I know that he kill Goliath with the stones but mm-hmm. in my in my imagination I imagine David pulling guard and doing a armbar <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was they didn't the Hebrew writers forgot to put that part that before he cut his head off with the sword he he used the stone to knock him down yeah. then he went up and he got into uh, uh yes he pulled him into his closed guard <laughs> swept him knee on belly then took his sword out Choke. And cut. That's how it really happened, folks. <laughs> they edited that out of your Bible, but that's the no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But basically, like uh, I, I, that's why, like uh, I always believe that God supported me with mm-hmm. the decision of going to Jiu-Jitsu, right? Yeah. And then, like uh, my mother always called me. She's always telling me, "You are the, a little David. You are a little David." And I was like, "Oh, thank you, mom." <laughs> so cool. Yeah, David beat. Tell her, tell her, I'm young David, because David later in life, his later life was not as faithful uh, as yeah, his early life. But his early life was the epitome of yeah. somebody who's being used by God, and 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 so the lesson from David's life that I look at is, it's a it's a it's a lesson of start strong, and finish strong, mm-hmm. uh, and, and don't finish. You know, don't because David, as he, he, you see this happen. Actually, this is a, a good parallel with black belt. You see what what happened with David's life, and, and not in every way because Bible characters aren't one dimensional. They're complex. They were real people, and real people battle with sin and pride and and you know ups yeah, and downs and faith. Mm-hmm. And David started so well, and he had the fervor and the zeal and the passion for God and yeah. the commitment. And then later in life, he let other things go that he shouldn't have, or he wasn't as good of a father as he should have been, and mm-hmm. and he let some things happen. And and the violence, God said, the sword will not leave your family. His own family experienced incredible violence and political intrigue and all of that stuff. He, I, I think there's a lesson there in terms of you can start so well but if you don't finish the race Mm -hmm. then you can end up in ruin and i see martial artists do that i see jujitsu i see people who they were absolute warriors coming up through the ranks Uh and then around brown belt sometimes even they get their black belt they still have the passion but they some have thought okay well now i'm a black belt i don't have to work as hard anymore 
I can relax. I can. I'm a black belt. I made it. Big mistake. I can. Yeah, and and there and you. But you see it whenever they train. Now I'm not talking about age. Some people, you know, you get to a certain age and your body can't physically keep up. That's not what yeah. I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm not talking about health issues or injuries. You know, some people they're black belts, but they can't roll anymore because they have certain different injuries. But I mean, I, you know what I mean. I'm talking about people who black belt for them becomes the end. And when I first, when I got my black belt, I remember thinking, oh, I now this is completely new territory. I'm starting over. Yeah. And I realized just how much I don't know. True. That happened to me too. I never fe felt ready. Like my professor called me and he was like, hey, I am planning to go to Miami. I already talked to your professor in Miami and we are going to do this bell ceremony and I am planning to give you the black belt. And I was like, wow. But then I was like, no, I am not ready. <laughs> and then when I got my black belt, I had like a, so much pressure on me mm -hmm. because like uh, it's a huge responsibility, mm -hmm. right? And then I was like, I need to be good. Yeah. I cannot, yes. <laughs> I cannot like uh, be playing around or go easy and rest because this is not the correct time to do it. It's it, jujitsu is one of the martial arts where you you have to defend your belt. Of course. Every roll, the target on your back gets bigger. So when you yeah. got your blue belt, all the white belts think, oh man, now I got to go hard against this yeah. person. When you get your purple belt, the blue belts were like, oh, I get to, I get to tap this purple belt. Yeah. When I go visit somewhere as a black belt, yeah. I almost don't want to wear my black belt. I want to come in as, you know, put a blue belt on or something and yeah. just have relaxing roles mm -hmm. because everyone wants that, yeah. that accomplishment. I tapped a black belt. Yes. I tapped a black belt. Yes. And so they're exactly. going to go hard against mm -hmm. you. <laughs> we are a big target when we are big target. And in my case, like I am blind, I am super skinny, little, <laughs> so I have many targets. And all the people always go hard with me because mm -hmm. they already know who I am and how I roll. Mm -hmm. And they just want to tap me so bad. Mm -hmm. And I had to defend myself. And in order for to do that, I need to have a good cardio. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, I need to be doing drills and training every day and getting better every day, always having the correct mentality of a child, of 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 or as a white belt that wants to learn something new every day, always trying to be humble and absorb as much uh, information as possible yeah. in order to be better. How do you feel about when you train? Now, some people are very, uh, if they're the instructor or they're a black belt, they don't like to ever tap to a lower belt. They think it's a failure if a lower belt taps them. Other people say they, they're black belts, like Gary Tonin has talked about this, and Gary Tonin with his students, he says he puts himself in the worst positions to try to get out because it makes his escapes better, and he has yeah. amazing escapes. Mm -hmm. But the downside is that means he gets tapped a lot by his students because he's working from a terrible position. And so he just looks at it, he said, you know, you just tap. Just tap. You're learning and you're growing and your students are getting better. So some people, there's two different mindsets. Some people say the black belt can't tap because that sets a bad precedent. That, mm -hmm. you know, and then others say, no, the black belt should tap all the time because there should be working on things 
And so how, how do you personally handle if, if a lower belt taps you out or has a lower belt ever tapped you out? And, yes, yes. And Many things. So how do you handle it? What, do you, what advice do you have for other black belts or even color belts coming up through the ranks? This is something that I always say, and it's very funny. Better tap than sorry. It's true. Better tap than be Tapping sorry. Tapping is the best thing that you can do, no matter what belt is your color. Even if you are a black belt, you need to show a different perspective. You need to show a different mentality about mm. it. Because tapping is the most important thing. It's the most humbling way to say and to recognize that your opponent did better. Mm -hmm. And you need to respect that and treat your opponent in the best way as possible and also congratulate. Because that opponent has been training also a lot Mm -hmm. to achieve that you know mm -hmm. and if they tap you it's a big accomplishment you know yeah. especially if they are white belts or blue belts or purple belts lower belts you know like a, it's a big accomplishment for them and they will feel wonderful mm -hmm. I remember like uh, the first time when I was a brown belt the first time that a white belt tapped me <laughs> he got so happy <laughs> so first of all I had to say like a uh, when I was a brown belt, I stopped training for almost... It's not an excuse because that guy is so good. He's winning a lot of tournaments now. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, I, I, I stopped training for almost two years. And then I was just coming back to train. And they put me to roll against this 220 pounds <laughs> white belt that he was training every day. He was doing like four hours Monday through Friday, he was like, he, he is still, he's a blue belt now. He's completely obsessed with jiu-jitsu and competitions. But basically, like, uh, they put me to roll with him and he's huge, mm -hmm. way bigger than me. And then I was doing half guard, I was comfortable, lazy, I was gassing out. <laughs> I, it was my third roll, I think was the last roll that I was going to do because uh -huh. my cardio was terrible. And I was having him, I was doing half guard bottom, I was so comfortable. And then he tried to do like a, a choke from top like a cross choke and I was ah, this is not going to happen he's strong but nah it's gonna be fine so I was protecting my neck and then he put it and he put all his weight on me he put the, all the pressure and boom I felt it and I was like I, I had to tap so I tap and when I tap he started to jump he was so happy he was the happiest guy in the planet he was like I cannot believe that I tap a brown belt and I was like yes a blind brown belt and he was like yeah but you are not uh, when I am rolling with you you are not blind you are super tough for me your guidance is not an excuse and I was like okay yes yes it's true it's the first time that you tap a brown belt good good for you and now that guy is a machine is is unstoppable. His name is Ashley Meham. Uh -huh. So if he sees this videos, we will be cool. But <laughs> now he's a blue belt and he's competing a lot. He won yeah. Pan Ams last year. He won the Europe's. He's a beast. Mm. Super bad, a super strong, yeah. super technical. And I am very happy for him. But <laughs> always my advice is to tap because if you don't tap, you can get injured really yeah. bad and then you're not going to be able to train.
Yeah, your pride yeah. will injure you more than your opponent a lot yeah. of times. Especially in competitions, because in competitions, the people go tougher. But in the regular trainings, you stop because you need to continue training. You need mm. to continue teaching. You need to continue for the black belts, right? Yeah. You need to continue competing or doing what you love. Yeah. You now, when, 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 uh, what yeah. was his name? You said Ashley? Was his Ashley name? So when Ashley tapped you, as a white belt and you were a brown belt uh there was a i'm sure there was a part of you that was congratulated to him but yeah. inside we're like man, man that's not gonna that happen way, again i cannot believe and and it made you did it make you more did it push you to go harder and get your cardio back and get your training back and like it motivated you to really give it to him now whenever you guys roll? Yeah. <laughs> that was like, I need to fix this problem. So I started to eat more healthy, and then I started to train more in order to recover my cardio or to gain more cardio, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, like, uh, I did it, and uh, he's so tough now. that So we haven't rolled in a long time, but the last time that we rolled, he couldn't tap me. He couldn't yeah, do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's, to me, that's the good part is even, even black belts, well, you were brown belt at the time, even high belts, brown and black belts need to be humbled sometimes yeah. and need to be kept in mind. Hey, just because you achieve now, now a black belt is a symbol of knowledge. You have a lot of knowledge and, yeah. and I know of black belts who their bodies don't work anymore the way they used to. Yeah. And if we rolled, and my body's breaking down. I've got a couple of injuries. I'm going to have to have a surgery on my arm, and I've got a condition that keeps me from being able to breathe well and and to uh, crunch my to contort my body. When, so when I get stacked, sometimes I have difficulty. So we all have things that we have to work around. I, my jujitsu has to adapt to those things, and uh, but I also know I still have to adapt my jujitsu. I can't just say well. I, you know, look, look at this belt on my waist. That's mm -hmm. enough. Just, I'm going to be in charge and you just ask me questions and I'll answer them and don't push me or check. You know, it's like that would make a very lazy instructor. Of course. And a complacent instructor. Mm -hmm. And I would be doing all of my students a disservice yeah. uh, to not encourage them. Yeah. Try to beat me up. <laughs> which is something weird people a lot of people if if anybody watching this hasn't done jujitsu i don't know if any non-jujitsu people are even watching at this point uh but you know there may be some but it's so hard for people to understand the benefit of getting beat like just getting going to class and sometimes you're the nail yeah and you and there's a benefit to it because it fuels you and it pushes you yeah. Um, it it pushes you to become better and to be more humble, you know. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we have beautiful days. Some days are like a, you go to the gym and you tap everyone and you do all the techniques that you want to do and that you had practice and it's so cool. And you get out from the gym thinking that you are a superhero, that you are the best, right? <laughs> but there are some days that you go and everybody smash you, someone pass your guard, they tap you more times and you mm. go like, Ugh, I feel so bad, I feel like I suck. But that gives you more motivation to continue going yeah. and to continue fighting right yeah. so like uh it's very good to tap i always recommend the, the people to tap that's good for people to hear 
that's good for people to hear you say that, that even at black belt, you have those days yeah. because some people, and I used to think before I ever, when I was maybe a blue belt, I was a blue belt before I ever rolled with a black belt. And it was the first, cause my, cause TC was a brown belt when I started. So he and I came up together, you know, he got his black belt and I was a, a blue belt moving to purple. But he, uh, the, so we had a black belt visit for an open mat. And that's the first time I'd ever rolled. I thought black belts knew everything. Yeah. And they don't have any, they don't have those days. They don't have weaknesses. That they come uh -huh. in. Yeah. I, I can't imagine a black belt coming in and being like, ah. I stink today. My jujitsu is terrible today. <laughs> now, as a black, and I've been black belt for five years now, wow. uh, coming up on five years, there are days where I think, man, I don't know. I should burn my black belt. <laughs> like I leave the gym thinking I should just burn this belt, go back and put my blue belt back on. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have those type of days, but. We have to be, that's why I think like uh, the Jiu-Jitsu people must have, must be super strong mentally speaking, yes. you know, because yeah, yeah. when we go through those days, it's tough, you know, mm -hmm. but then we have the motivation to continue going to train and to continue getting better and never stop, you know? Yeah. So as you're, you're a competitive Jiu-Jitsu athlete. What's your goal with competition? You're going to compete. Obviously, you're going to compete this weekend. But but beyond this weekend, what's your goal in the sport? What do you want to achieve in competition jujitsu? The reason why I compete is because I want to be an example of inspiration and superation for the people. You know, is to get to know more people and that they could know what I am doing to mm -hmm. motivate people and to help blind people, you know. So it's more to motivate. Also, obviously, I love to win tournaments and medals and mm -hmm. show that I have a real technique and to test myself, you know. Yeah. Because I am a fighter. All my life I had fight against the life, you know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it has been tough. So like, uh, I always like to fight. So and now you have the skill to fight back. Yeah. So that's why I, I, I call my project the blind warriors because I am the real blind warrior. Mm -hmm. I am always fighting and that's why I love to compete yeah. and also to meet people and to motivate them to continue fighting, not only in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But beyond that, that's my goal, like to continue motivating more people and to continue pushing to the limit myself. And, and what do you want to, what's your goal in the sport? What would you like to accomplish winning, you know, in terms of winning? Do you want to do uh, just IBJJF? Would you like to compete in other uh, tournaments, other, you know, other local events maybe, or do super fights? Um, you know, gi only. Do you ever want to have any no gi competition, EBI, things like that? Like, w tell me where you are with that. So I, I like to compete in all the tournaments. Now I am more focusing IBJJF mm -hmm. because, unfortunately, like all the high competitors only compete IB, IBJJF. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I go to little tournaments like Naga or 
new Greek that I do compete or tap cancer out, mm -hmm. they don't have black belts sometimes. Right, right. So I had to fight against brown or purple, which I do. I don't have any problem. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I want to be able to test myself more with black belts. That's why I get more focus in IBJJF. Right. Um, but I compete every every tournament. Do you do IBJJF no gi as well or gi only? Only gi. Only gi. Yeah, but if I had the possibilities, the thing is that it's expensive, you know? Yeah. So that's why I only I am able to do gi. But if I could do no gi, I do it. So people don't realize, some people watching this, it is expensive. Yeah. You're not getting money mm -hmm. to compete. You are having to pay to compete. You're having to pay your transportation, mm -hmm. your entry fee. You have to pay dues to keep your IBJJF membership. Yeah. And uh, and so part of it is you have to have sponsors to help you with that. And yeah, if anybody's watching this and you want to help sponsor, what is there, there a way that they could sponsor you or they could reach out yeah, to you to could, help? They could contact me to my through my Instagram account that is Carlos Alvarez BJJ. Mm -hmm. But you know, like, I would really appreciate the support too, you know, because every support is good. But I also had like a, thanks, thank God, I had like a, a very good sponsors, you know, like a, mm -hmm. I had a few classmates and super good friends from, from my gym that when they knew that I wanted to compete. They wanted to help me because they know how yeah. tough I am in the match and also how is my story. Mm -hmm. And I am a big motivation for them. And uh, they are always helping me. And it always is good to receive any support, you know? Yeah, I, I do want know. to mention these guys because these guys are very important. Mm -hmm. uh, my good friend, his name is Mauricio Padilla. He's a super good lawyer, but also like a, he's a super good person. He's always supporting me with the tournaments. He's like, tell me what tournament you want to do, and I help you. And I'm like, wow, this is Wonderful. so awesome. Yeah. And I always believe that he's an angel that God sent me to help me. Wonderful. And I have a few people that had help, other classmates yeah. that are awesome. But always any support is appreciated because yeah. especially when you had to travel, you had to go to a hotel, mm. you need to get the food and everything. And if you are in a diet, it's complicated. So whatever yeah. support is really appreciated. Yeah. And, and the, you know, hopefully one day, the the sport will grow and there will be more opportunities for people that are competing to start getting paid. Yeah. And I know that's on the gi side. Mm -hmm. On the no gi side, you're already seeing that with yeah. no gi super fights and events where, where athletes are getting paid. And you yeah, do have super good. people pushing that. And, and, you know, I was, ADCC was recently and just seeing how big a stage ADCC has now. Uh, it's very cool to see grappling yes. coming into its own. I think gi is still hard because you have to be more educated to understand what's yeah. happening in gi jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And I think IBJJF has to do a better job of, of moving beyond just being a jiu-jitsu only thing. And, and kind of, I, I don't know it. I'm not an expert in the sport. I, I, I'm focused more on the self-defense side of it, but there hopefully there will be more opportunities more support, for more support. yeah yeah that will be awesome yeah because the amount of money that you guys pay to go compete most people would be like wait what 
Yeah. That's that why much. people don't compete, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's probably the number one reason is mm -hmm. competing is not cheap. Yeah. It's expensive. Um, the flip side, though, is if you are successful in competition, then your name gets out there and people want to learn from it. So a seminar. Like open doors. Yeah. A seminar by somebody who's a black belt. Uh -huh. Like you're a very good black belt and you're a very good instructor. And, and And I encourage anybody watching this, bring Carlos to do a seminar sometime, especially if you want to motivate. He taught our kids and he taught our adults. Uh, and, and and he wants to do more teaching. And so if anybody listening, bring him to one, just hang out with him and meet him because he's a great guy and he has very good jujitsu, but let him teach. And you as an instructor will learn from having to teach someone who can't see and how they and watching someone who can't see how they teach. To me, that was fun. I learned a lot from watching you teach Thank that you will help much. me as a teacher. Um, but hopefully, you know, the more you compete and the more your name gets out there, that opens opportunities for you to be able to go teach more. Yeah, that will be awesome. And then you, do you ever want to own your own academy? Yes. In the future, I would love to have my own academy because my main goal is to help the mm -hmm. blind community. Also, I want to teach to sighted people that people are, that are able to see, yeah. but I want to have like a... That's one of my dreams to have like a, a blind jujitsu competitors going to the tournaments and mm -hmm. fight against people that are able to see and to be like an example, you know, to be a movement that do something good for the blind, you know. So that'd be wonderful. I hope I hope you're able to do it, and and it would be amazing because of your story, and not just your story. Mm -hmm. But your mom's story yeah, and her coming, leaving Ecuador solely to give you the life me. that you could have in America with all of the, because in Ecuador, you've said there's, there's not the opportunity because no. there, for people that have disabilities, you, you're limited there. But here in America, you've been able to come and your mom I've been impressed by her devotion to you and you know she's been there with you. She's awesome. She's great. I she's love your mom. I, I'm I'm excited for her English to get better so that I will be able to start talking to her in in future visits. So tell her, tell her that I said she has to work on her English hard so that she yeah. and I can have good discussions. <laughs> and I, I will work on my Spanish and we'll try to make it somewhere in the middle. But she she reminded me a lot my my, both of my parents, my father is a pastor, oh. and my mother um, has, has been one of my biggest, not just supporters, but people that I turn to for when I have anything. When, when, I, when I have a need, a problem, uh, my parents are who I call and who I still talk to, even as a 44-year-old, you know, but, but I'm still dad's boy, mom's boy. Of course. And you never always. stop being that. Never. You always will. Yeah. But my my parents uh, have been my dad's pastor. He gave me the foundation of, of he you're surrounded by books on both sides of you right now. That yeah. is because of my dad. He wow. instilled in me the desire for study, biblical study and for critical thinking and not just believing something because somebody preaches it 
or somebody teaches it, but actually studying scripture in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew. And, and he instilled that in me. But my mom was the one who would take me to the library every week to pick out a book. Or, or she would say, you have to bring home six books or five books or however many, and you have to read them. And then I'll take you back in two weeks and you get five more. And you, so they, they really encouraged and, and fueled my desire for reading. Nice. And fun thing is my dad, when I left for, so I did karate as a kid, I was a karate fighter. Mm -hmm. And um, I did tournaments where you do point sparring and you do your forms and weapons and things like that. So I grew up doing that in the late 80s and early 90s. And then when I left for college, um, my dad started taking Taekwondo and he got his Taekwondo black belt. Nice. And uh, as a preacher. So was, he was the preacher doing Taekwondo. And, and so I would come home from college and and sometimes I would get to work with him on his forms, or on his kicks, his wow, punches. Cool. I was there when he tested for his black belt. And um, the fun thing was his best friend in the class, Taekwondo class, was a rabbi. And so, <laughs> so you had a preacher so and a cool. rabbi. I mean, I mean, and they would train together and they would try to beat each other up. And then they would go have lunch. And then they would argue about whether Jesus was the Messiah or not because <laughs> the rabbi didn't believe he was and my dad did but yeah. they had this friendship they and I say argue they would they would discuss it and they would challenge each other but they they were genuinely good friends and I think that influenced my vision with refugee jitsu even from an early age is when I have students that I train with either teammates at leadership martial arts or my refugee students and their family and they come from different beliefs, different backgrounds, different mm -hmm. faiths. I don't see them as in any way an enemy no. or in any way I don't avoid them. I don't say, well, they're not a Christian, so I can't be friends with them. You know, it's like I look at that as like, great. They're, they would probably never come to my church. So I get to meet them here at jujitsu and we get to become friends that way. That's I love that about jujitsu. It brings yeah. together people that you would never cross paths with normally from all parts of the world different beliefs mm -hmm. and when you're doing jiu-jitsu like everybody's equals and we are all learning together all meeting each other and all respecting each other yeah it's so cool that's right? how it should be at its best that's how it is jiu-jitsu is like everything you do have some bad people in it you do have some people that tarnish what it should be you do have some drama you have some high-level people who have done some terrible things. Sometimes that happens, you know. Yeah. Like in like in every sport. In every sport. Everything in life, like we will always have good people, bad people. Mm -hmm. So it's like that. Yeah. So so, but what? But even in the midst of that, jujitsu does give the you have community that I don't see in any other thing that I've ever seen any other sport any other activity any other hobby there's just something about it I tell people other than Jesus jujitsu has changed more lives true. than anything I've ever seen mm -hmm. it's true that's yeah. why I always tell to the people that jujitsu is an instrument or a gift or a present whatever you want to call it that God used it to help me mm -hmm. you know because it's the best therapy I met 
I had met so many wonderful people mm -hmm. and I had learned so much to be humble and to be grateful for everything. Who are some of the most m memorable people you've ever gotten to meet or train with that are maybe famous people that you've had to train with? You've mentioned a few to me when you've talked about who you trained with um, in Brazil and in Florida. <clears throat> and then who are a couple of people that you hope to get to meet and train with someday? So, so, so let's start with who you have trained with before. You can drop names. You can say, you know, I had to train with this person or this because I, yeah. I want to know. And I, people that are watching, they, we always like to hear stories of who we've gotten to train with over the years. So who are some people you've gotten to train with that I would just be like, man, that's amazing. So in 2013, I got the wonderful possibility to travel to Brazil. Mm. Uh, I was a blue belt. I was already totally blind. And I, we went to this gym called Alliance Jiu-Jitsu because I used to belong from the, to the Alliance Jiu-Jitsu team. Yeah. And the main professor, because I went to Sao Paulo, Mm -hmm. So the main professor, his name is Fabio Gurgel. Fabio Gurgel is a legend. Alliance Jiu-Jitsu team. <clears throat> yes. So I spent one month in his academy. Mm -hmm. And the good thing that happened is that in that time that I went, they were doing a no-gi Jiu-Jitsu camp. They mm -hmm. were preparing for the Jiu-Jitsu wars. Mm -hmm. So basically all the... Almost all the Alliance Jiu-Jitsu stars were there, like Tarsis Humphreys, mm -hmm. Leo Nogueira, Michael Langi, mm -hmm. eh, Gabi Garcia, Luana Alsugir, mm -hmm. eh, Bruno Malfacin, and many other guys that are super tough. Uh, and how many did you get to meet all of them or to interact with them or how did they treat you or how did they treated me so well and my professor that was there with us he introduced me all of them and i mm -hmm. got to roll with all of wonderful. them. wonderful it was amazing bruno malfacin <laughs> should meet me like seven times in six minutes <laughs> i was so impressed because he's so little you know yeah and then gabby garcia gave me a award she's huge she is uh, she is and a beast yeah every uh, those guys treat, treated me so well Mm -hmm. And I had a very wonderful experience mm -hmm. also. Do you remember what it was like rolling with Michael, Michael Longi? Yeah, it was awesome. Is he just like iron? I couldn't iron. move him at all. Yeah. When I rolled, I would just, and he's so nice. He so, was so nice. So nice. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I'm going to send him this a link so he can listen. But he was so nice and... But I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. Yeah, I couldn't do anything. No, to no, him. it's impossible <laughs> to do something. So tough. did you get to roll with Fabio, Grigio, um, or is he not rolling anymore? No, I could. When I went there, I couldn't roll because he was super busy teaching, yeah. and also because of the camp. Sure. But the super cool thing is that when I came back to Ecuador, I was already a blue belt with two stripes, mm -hmm. and I spent almost three years in the blue belt because. When I 
became blind. I was a blue belt, so I stopped for a little bit. So yeah. it took me some time to become a purple belt. Mm -hmm. But Fabio Gurgel went to do a seminar in Ecuador in 2013, in November. Mm -hmm. And they surprised me and they gave me my purple belt. So oh, Fabio Gurgel awesome. gave me my purple belt. That is fantastic. Super cool. Having Fabio Gurgel put a purple belt on you, that's yeah. no small accomplishment. Was that, that was before you had lost your, was that after you had lost your sight completely? After I lost my sight. When you went to Brazil. I was totally blind already. So you had already lost your sight when you went to Brazil. Yeah. To train. Mm -hmm. That's so cool though that you got the train. It was there. so funny because when I went there, the people saw me and they were thinking that I was just a guest that was going to stay sitting or something mm -hmm. and when they saw me putting the gi on they were like wow you do jiu-jitsu this is so awesome <clears throat> and everybody there treated me so well mm -hmm. was a big blessing for me That's was super cool. good for my heart you know because yeah. brazilians are super good yeah. Super good people. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, and then who else have you trained with people in Florida that are uh, <clears throat> people of note? Who else have you had a chance to train with and visit with? So, in 2014, I got the possibility to go to compete the World Jiu Jitsu Championships mm -hmm. in Long Beach, California. Mm -hmm. And I went to Cobriña's gym. Okay. So I met Cobriña. Cobriña's so nice, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Kennedy Marcel. Uh -huh. Yeah, but I only met Cobriña. And I also met uh, this guy. He's a super tough competitor. He trains for... He's a Marcelo Garcia student. Mm -hmm. Matias. Mm -hmm. Dennis. Dennis, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. I met him there. Also <clears throat> Fabio... This guy from Brazil, Fabio Caloy, he was there too. He's a very famous guy too. Mm -hmm. uh, Gianni Grippo. Mm -hmm. I met Gianni Grippo there. Yeah. And I had the, the opportunity to roll with those guys. And oh, that's good. Super cool. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And then in Miami, uh, uh, Leon Nogueira. Mm -hmm. That he's also a super tough, famous jiu-jitsu fighter. Yeah, that was the first jiu-jitsu gym that I went to train in Miami. Oh, very cool! With Leon Nogueira, and he gave me my two first stripes in the purple belt, which was awesome. Nice. Uh, he was super impressed with my skills and with my determination, and I trained with him for almost three months. Okay, and then he moved. And I had to look for other gyms. And also, I had the opportunity to train for eight months with the legend Mario Sperry. Mario Sperry. Yeah. He is a legend. He was just at ADCC at the Legends seminar that they did. Yeah. Uh, He's so nice. Yeah. So I always go to visit him because, unfortunately, I had some problems and I had to move from his gym, not with his people or with the gym, but uh -huh. with economic problems and I couldn't continue going there because it was a little far from my house, uh -huh. so I had to change, but I trained there for eight months and I learned so much, oh, and he's so nice, and every time that I go to visit him, he's always teaching me stuff and mm -hmm. treating me so well, he likes me so much, <laughs> he's always hugging me and treating me so well. Uh, yeah. I was hoping that I would get to talk to him at ADCC uh, and draw because I do portraits and I was going to draw his portrait next. 
and I haven't I have his contact. You know, I always talk to him, so I can. I'm going to send it when I when I do his portrait, his uh, uh, trading card. I'm going to send it to you and have you have you send it to him for me and yeah. make the introduction. Yeah. Because and did I, you did you try? Have you met? Um, uh, Ricardo Laborio? I think in a competition, only mm. by handshake and everything, but nothing like I want. I want to connect the two of you, you know, because his daughter being blind, and he has a heart for uh, teaching jiu-jitsu to the blind, and, and yeah. that's that's a connection. You guys need to know each other. Yeah, and he's not he's too far. He's in Tampa, I think. He shared, you remember the Matt May video? He uh -huh. shared my story, and he put red hearts and yes, everything. Yes, 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 yes. So... Maybe someday I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can to solidify that connection. That will be super cool. And then maybe do like a a, a benefit seminar one day for blind warrior and refugee jitsu and yeah. So you came. Well, let's finish it. We we don't have. I want to keep you too long. We're we're coming up on two hours, and I don't just want you to say I had a good time. They were great. I want to hear what your experience, experience. was yes. with the refugee jitsu outreach that I lead because you got to not just teach, but you got to talk to some of the students and some you got to talk to in Spanish, which I was yeah. so glad for. Mm -hmm. And you got to meet and your mom and your aunt got to meet a couple of the parents, the mothers yep. that came. And that was to me, that was really special. But I didn't know because I don't speak Spanish. So I don't know what all and, and you don't have to share anything private, but I want I want to hear about your experience at refugee jitsu and how it was for you because that's what you know we brought you here i wanted my kids to meet you mm -hmm. they were they they i could watch their faces while they were watching you and they were so curious and at first they did they were hesitant to ask questions but then once you started answering questions then more hands started raising and they got more comfortable so we're going to definitely bring you back at some point because i know they would want to spend more time yeah. with you but tell me and tell the, the viewers and whoever's listening to this about your experience with refugee jitsu. So that experience was something that it really touched my heart in a deep way. Especially like uh, I remember that when this thing of the mat made video happen a lot of people started to sending me messages and everything i wanna i wanna uh, touch this topic and explain how it happened because for me it is a big blessing to be here so like uh, i remember that the professor jm sent me the message through instagram and he was like hopefully you are able to listen to this message and Hopefully you are able to come, and if not, please just let me know. And I was like, when he sent me the message explaining about what he is doing to help the refugee kids, like a, I felt something in my heart that I don't have words to describe. And I was like, I want to be part of this. I want to help. I want to support. And I sent him a message extremely fast. I, I think I took a little bit to reply because like a, I, I had like a bunch of messages. Yeah. But then I replied and I was like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> when you want to do it? And we coordinate everything. And I came here. And last night was a very wonderful experience because I am Hispanic too. Mm. And I identify myself with those kids 
Many of the kids are not Hispanic, but I identify myself with those people because like uh, I know how hard it is to come from other country and to come here and you have to learn the language mm -hmm. and then your parents have to work like nobody's business in order to pay the bills and to survive and sometimes your parents don't have the possibility to support you or to help you in the things that you want to do and I know how hard it is, mm -hmm. right? So I understood their situation and also because of the bullying because they come from other countries and maybe because they don't speak well the language they make fun of them and they suffer from bullying or rejection mm -hmm. and that is something that I'm gonna apologize for the word but it completely sucks mm -hmm. and it's very sad that people will bully this type of kids that the life for them had been super tough, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, uh, for me, to be able to talk to them and to motivate them and to push them was something super cool. Because I was feeling that they were looking at me like a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, whoa, he's blind. Yeah. And he's a black belt. And I told them you were daredevil. Yeah, I told him, I was like, you guys know Daredevil, right? It, there's a real Daredevil right over there. He's even got the cane, and he does jujitsu. and I'm going to let him choke you if you're bad, so you better listen to him. <laughs> yeah, so for me, it was a very wonderful experience because you are doing a really good job because you are teaching them values, principles, and how to be better persons every day. And all the tools that you are giving them is amazing. I can really tell that God is using you to help these kids that are in a super need, but also to help the future generation. Mm -hmm. Because these kids are the future generation. And the generations will be better because of the job that you are doing. You know? So that's something super cool and like uh, when I was talking to them I felt identified because I also suffered from bullying mm -hmm. and I also had to come to this country with my mother and to learn yeah. the language and then yeah. to stay here is, is not easy. You know? And you didn't know any English when you got here? No, nothing. I and couldn't speak any word. Yeah, that's phenomenal and I, I, I'm so... I want people to realize that, that they're listening, because people listening probably think, oh, you grew up listening and speaking some English, and then you studied it very hard, and then you came to America. No, no. you learned here. Yeah, I learned it here. I study a lot. Yeah. And I used to pray, and I ask God, please, Lord, help me to learn English. I want to do it. It's so important. Yeah. And then he did it. He, he helped me. Also, he has. I, I put my part, you know, I study a lot and that was yeah. super helpful. But what I wanted to say is that you guys should support this wonderful cause that the professor JM is doing mm -hmm. because he's doing this with all his heart. He's not doing this to for other uh, uh, how I can say the word with other uh, you can say it in Spanish I'll find a translation <laughs> with other <laughs> como interesses 
Okay. So other motives. <laughs> with other other motives and, and ulterior motives is what we would yeah. say. Yeah. Because you are doing this because you really want to help. Because you want to have a better future for these kids. And you want to show them what a real Christian must be. Mm. Because I remember last night you were telling me, no, it's, it's very sad when Christians preach that you must be good, but if you don't do nothing about it, it doesn't work, right? right, right. So actions yeah, is what yeah. really means. Like uh, in the Bible said that if you are uh, like a, a good tree, you will have always like a good fruits. Yes. And the good fruits are the actions, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So what you are doing, you are showing to all that kids that maybe they don't believe in Jesus, maybe they are not Christians, but you are showing, the, showing them a very good example of what a Christian is. Yeah, no. well, yeah, it was what I told you last night. You know, no, our, we you don't know. preach at refugee jitsu. We don't we don't teach them discipleship or yep. I because we have my first students. I told you they were they were uh, devout Muslims from Afghanistan, and I and they're they're coming to a country where they're already feared refugees in America. People fear them because there's some people have told them, and sadly, even some Christians have said. Well, this is how terrorists are coming into the country. They're sneaking mm -hmm. in as refugees, so we can't reach out to these people. Or if they're Muslim, they're just trying to infiltrate America to bring down this country. Mm -hmm. and, and I just listened to that, and it made me so angry. Super it was like, that's not true. Mm -hmm. One, it's not true. And two, even if it were true, Jesus still calls us to serve and to love and to reach out Our and enemies. to bring in... Yeah. The orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the stranger, the alien, uh, the immigrant. And I was just hearing Christians were acting so unchristian toward the very community that Jesus was a part of. Jesus was a refugee. Jesus had to flee Bethlehem to go to Egypt. Yeah. He was a he was a refugee fleeing for his life. Mm -hmm. And and that's who we worship. That's our Savior. So there's no way a Christian can turn their back on refugees or immigrants, even even immigrants, even people just coming to, to have a better life. You can't turn your back on them and still claim to faithfully love Jesus because you're turning your back on Jesus. Mm -hmm. What you did to the least of these, you did to me. So I, I look at the how we treat the margins of society is a direct reflection of what kind of fruit we're bearing in our own life. Yeah. And if your doctrine is sound and your theology is good and you can preach the Bible and get people shouting and screaming and singing and hollering, but you don't reach across and love your enemy, then your faith is dead. Yeah, and that's why we got to do what we preach, you know? Exactly. And so for me, it was reaching out to specifically Muslim refugees Middle Eastern refugees, because in America they are the most feared. Yeah. But because of after 9 11, but mm -hmm. also Hispanic refugees, because in America there's the, the, a lot of people have the misconception they're just coming to steal my job. They're just mm -hmm. coming to, to make, to get the government to give them money and then they're going to live and going to do all this stuff and they're going to da da da. 
And I'm like, you don't understand the yeah. hardship, mm-hmm. you know? And so I meet people like people like your mom who has sacrificed a good life in Ecuador mm-hmm. yep. for you to come and have the possibilities that you would not have in Ecuador. That is the kind of people that I want as my neighbor. Like I want to, I tell people, if you could choose your neighbor, choose a refugee because they'll be the best neighbors you'll ever have because they know what it takes to, they know what it's like to come from nothing and to work for things. And it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a sad misconception. So I was so glad when you could come and and when you could speak to my students and their parents in Spanish, that was awesome, man, what was that like? getting to meet some of the parents and, and to talk to them and, and for your mom and for your aunt, what was that like for them? It was a nice experience because my mother, my aunt and I, we always want to be like uh, instruments mm-hmm. in, the, in the hands of God. You know, we mm-hmm. want to serve the Lord in everything that we do. And mm-hmm. it was super cool to be able to give them a message of hope. Mm. You know, and to let them know that they they should continue helping their kids mm. and that they should continue working for them and continue treating them in the best way as possible and giving them that support that sometimes they needed because sometimes they don't have a person that could tell them mm. that, you know, mm-hmm. especially because sometimes... The parents don't speak the language. Right. You know, right. only the kids speak English, but then the parents, they don't speak any English. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the possibility to speak with other people with other mentality, right? Yeah. And sometimes they are alone, working so much. And the time is super valuous, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't have the time to spend with the family. Yeah, so, because they're having to work so hard. Yeah, yeah. so that's why uh, my mother, my aunt, and I, we were able to give them a very nice message of hope and to tell them that they are doing the things right because mm-hmm. they are working so much in order to survive in this country, you know? Mm-hmm. What I want to say is that what you're doing is so awesome and I want to continue helping i want to continue supporting in whatever way that i come and i i encourage the people to donate to this wonderful cause mm. because it's a real one mm. it's a honest one it's it's a cause that really really came from the professor jm hart and i am pretty sure that god inserted that yeah. in his heart. Well, it, I would because I would tell you this. I never wanted to teach kids. Yeah. I only teach adults at the Hensel Gracie class. Wow. I only teach the adults. So I joke around. I don't like teaching kids. And I said it would only God could make me teach a bunch of kids. <laughs> and what does God do? You're going to have a children's jujitsu ministry to refugee, immigrant, and and local lower income kids. And now those are some of my favorite kids to teach. I can't explain it other than God has to give you a burden for something and then he gives you what you need to do that thing. And in my case, it was the desire and the ability and the love to teach children that I didn't have before I started this program. <laughs> it's a miracle. No, but it's God, you know, it's God that the one that put that love and that ability 
to do it, you know? Because some of the kids, they don't have a father right. or maybe they don't have that figure to mm -hmm. follow, right? Mm -hmm. And you are for them that. I remember that I talked to your student, Brian, and he was telling me, the professor JM is like my father. <laughs> he has helped me so much. He has supported me so much. And he's like my father. I like him. I like that guy so much. <laughs> he was like, whoa, that's so cool. And it's true. Yeah. Because you are that figure, that example that those kids will follow. Mm. And you are doing a super wonderful job. Well, I was glad that I appreciate that. Thank you. And I was glad they got to meet you. And I always no no one person can be what everyone needs. So I want my students to meet other instructors. I want more volunteers to come and that they get to work with them. And I'm always trying to bring more people into the organization just to volunteer, just to see it. To feel the experience. Yeah, just to experience it. Because one of the goals is I want other instructors. When I started Refugee Jitsu, my specific goal was I want this to just show other jujitsu instructors what they can do in their community. Because they may not have a high refugee population, but every city in America has kids who can't afford jujitsu, who need jujitsu. Yeah. And so if, it, if it's an instructor that's like, okay, you have an academy, great. Give five scholarships a year to kids in the neighborhood who need jujitsu but can't afford it. Have, if, if there's a kid whose mother cleans houses, have her come clean your house every three months and her child gets to train with you. You know, like find ways to, tr even if it's trade, you're not just giving, just find a way, make the kid work at the academy and that will cover their dues. If they come in and they, they mop the mats, they clean the bathrooms every Saturday or something like that, just find, I want to encourage jujitsu instructors, find ways to make jujitsu accessible to the people that need it because they really do and it will change kids' lives For sure. if you start them on that path. That's something very cool, and, and I agree completely with that message. Mm. You, you professors, please help, help, because there are many people in need of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu could be a super good tool for someone to success. For example, in my case, I want to share this. Like uh, When I was a brown belt, like uh, I couldn't train for two years and then I came back to Jiu-Jitsu and my mother, she works really hard and she's a single mother. Uh, my father doesn't help us anymore. So my mother is the one that had to pay all the bills mm -hmm. and Jiu-Jitsu is so expensive mm -hmm. and I couldn't afford it. And when I used to go to the gyms that I went, like all the professors used to help me because I told them about my story and they saw my determination and my jiu-jitsu skills and they always giving me like a the first school gave me like a super huge discount mm. and I was only paying like $80 a month and that was super cool mm. and then in the second school the same thing happened and then in the school that I know 
that I am now. Uh, in the beginning, when I was a Brownwell, he also asked me to pay for 80. But then one time my mother lost her job and she couldn't continue working for a while. And the professor was like, you know what, Carlos? Don't, don't worry. Don't pay me nothing. Mm-hmm. And he helped me so much. My professor name is Enrique Gamafilio. His mm-hmm. gym is called Gamafilio Martial Arts. And then when I got my black belt, the things got way better. And he saw all my skills, teaching and everything and helping the people. And he offered me a job. And now I am working there. I teach the 7 a.m. class. Mm-hmm. And... I am competing in the highest level. A lot of people had support me. And that's why I said this to the professors because Jiu-Jitsu could really change lives like uh, it did in mine. Yeah. If he had just said, oh, you can't pay, get lost. You wouldn't be who you are today. But because you had that instructor pouring into you, and that's that's so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are an instructor, if you're a martial arts owner out there, doesn't mean you let students take advantage of you. It doesn't mean students just say, "Well, I don't want to pay." No, it's the ones who you know, you know your students, you know the ones who really need it, but who just can't afford it. Um, find try to find ways to reach those people because you you could have a Carlos Alvarez right in your midst and not yeah. even know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or maybe a world champion or someone that is going to success so much. Well, you'll be world champion. You're keeping at it. So that's the next goal. <laughs> it's world Hopefully. champion. But it'll start with uh, winning this weekend. Yeah. And so, well, I appreciate it. I'm going to ask you this. And I, this, this I am getting this on camera uh, because I know, Carlos, people are going to ask me, uh, is he married? Does he have kids? Mm-hmm. What's his? So tell me, what's your personal life situation? Are you married? Do you have kids? What? Right now, I am single. I don't have kids, but I am waiting for the correct woman. To so you're single and open. Yeah, I am looking for a ladies, woman, Christian woman. Ladies, if you love Jesus, yeah, and you, you love jujitsu, <laughs> and uh, you want to uh, meet an amazing black belt then he is single. So I'm going to, I'm going to encourage it and I may try to send some people your way if I meet, but you have to do the same for me in Miami. If yep. you go down and meet the lovely lady down there who loves jujitsu and loves Jesus and uh, let's talk, we can hook each other up. You'd be, you have to be in, in America. We have the phrase, the wingman. Do you know that phrase? Yeah. Your wingman. So you'll be my wingman. I'll be your wingman and we'll look out for each other. Because so, <laughs> it's hard being single and Christian, unmarried in the churches. You Sometimes you don't feel like you belong. Everyone's married and yeah. their families. And you're just like, okay, well, I'm just here. We have to, us singles have to look out for each other. And we always have to be on the lookout to set each other up or to introduce. Because it may not be a match, but they may know someone who is a match. So it's not all networking. It's like jujitsu. You just need the network. Carlos, thank you so much for sitting in here at the dojo with us. Um, You're our first in-person guest we've ever had, which is exciting for me because we get to talk face-to-face. And how is the best way for people to reach you, follow you, and connect with you if they want to support Blind Warriors uh, or if they want to just reach out and support you in your career? What's the best way? The best way you guys could find me in Instagram or Facebook. My Facebook is Carlos Andres Alvarez, 
And then my Instagram is at Carlos Alvarez BJJ all together. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to mention like uh, who I want to meet of the Jiu Jitsu athletes. Oh, yes. What athletes And do I you want to call meet? out to Gordon Ryan. That <laughs> was super fight. <laughs> yes. Let's do um, here. Turn and look at Oops, the camera yeah, yeah, here. <laughs> so we'll bit. do this. Hey, this is J.M. Smith. I'm here at Disciple Dojo, and I am with uh, Professor Carlos Alvarez, and he is the first blind Hispanic jiu-jitsu black belt. He's competing this weekend down in Charleston. He He's the blind warrior. He is the jiu-jitsu daredevil, um, completely <laughs> blind, can't see, but he wants to drop a challenge. What did you say you wanted to do? I want to fight against, I want to have a super fight against Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan, he's calling you out. Yeah. You're gonna, are you going to heel hook him? I'm going to heel hook him. And he's going to heel hook you in yeah. the gi. In the gi? With the gi or no gi? Oh, gi or no gi, Gordon, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He'll I, do either. I am 134 pounds. 134 pounds of fury coming <laughs> at you, Gordon. So this guy, you better get in touch with him. <laughs> so, for real, for me, it will be a, a big honor to be able to meet you and to train with you. Also to fight. Let's fight. <laughs> yeah, no, for real though, Gordon. We, uh, I, Carlos would love to connect with you at some point. And uh, so I'm going to try to make this happen because how often do you get to train with somebody who's completely blind and yet is a skilled black belt? I've rolled with him. He's good. So, us, you got to say us, good person. Anybody else that you would like to meet that I can try to connect you with? Marcelo Garcia. I wish I could. I don't know Marcelo personally. Oh, you know Marcelo. I mean, I've met him, but I don't. Well, the Professor Renzo, we already did it. So Yeah, we sent one to Henzo, and then we're going to try to get you over to Lucas's, because he's going to be there today. So, Carlos is here at my friend Lucas Lapri's school. And how do you feel? I am feeling so happy. Yeah. This is a big blessing. It's a dream come true. And I I am really thankful with you, Professor JM, for this opportunity. Oh, no, that's okay. Here. I, I just met my, one of my favorites. Yeah, oh, he got something for you. I shirt for you, man. Oh, you got a Lucas Lapree yeah. shirt. Yeah. Shirt for the academy. Of course. Oh, good. Uh, it's a black shirt. I hope you enjoy. Yes, okay. yes. Thank beautiful. You. Thank, you very thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Lucas. Have a great day. <laughs> Not even waiting. Just put it on right now. <laughs> Oh, looks good. Perfect. Yes, flat. You got to show the muscles. Come on, show that the diet you've been. Yeah. Bowie likes it too. <laughs>